Motorcycles and Misfits at the Recycle Garage here in, once again, sunny Santa Cruz, California. Sunny and balls hot again. Yep. Yes. Yep. Not even no balls hot. It man. wasn't that <laughs> hot. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't quite shaved balls hot, though. Yeah. <laughs> Sweaty balls hot. Yeah. Sweaty yeah. balls. And, no, and nobody was willing to pull the tent out today. It's like a stalemate. Nobody wanted to be the one to do it. Drag it out. I was wrong. So we all Shot. suffered. It's broken, so... So, um, I was going to talk about what we did today, but first... Why don't we say who's here? I oh, yeah. wanted to... Hey, Liza, who's here? Talk about who's here. Who's here today? <laughs> <laughs> who's here? I was just testing you. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Liza running the board tonight. We have Zach. Oh, hello. Adrian. Hello. Bagel. Ciao, ciao. Lucas. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Nobody's ever seen the, the room. Cat. <laughs> Yuri. Hey, y'all. Douglas. I'm here. Evan. Present. And Matt. Howdy. So, um, <laughs> I got to do some rescuing yesterday. Oh, and Doug, you- I heard you did some rescuing earlier this week, too. Yeah. Who'd you rescue? Uh, it's nice that you have a truck now and can help with the rescue. Yeah, yeah it, it is. It is kind of nice. It is nice. Um, Andy. And uh, um, Alexander both yeah. needed rescuing mm-hmm. on the same day. So, um, <laughs> so how many people have asked you to help them move yet? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. Uh, the funny thing. So uh, Alex uh, emailed me and said, "I need you know, can you help me out?" So so day. I said, "Yeah, I can help you out tomorrow or the next day." So um, uh, he gets to work at the oak tree and he. He, because uh, his his bike is leaking oil everywhere. Or he noticed oh, it was yeah. leaking oil on the way there, uh, so he oh, parked this is it there. The bike that he crashed and then fixed up here. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I can't, it's a. What the heck is it? Oh, is that SV- a v- radian? Yeah, it's a radian. I yeah, think. it's a radian. So. What is a so, radian? Um, he tells radian. me I'm, I'm diagnosing. I go up to the to his work and we're looking at the bike. I'm looking for an oil leak and I notice it's like not only on the bottom but it's coming through all behind the engine, behind the airbox. And I'm like, that looks like breather to me, right? Uh, like purging from the airbox. So I'm trying to ask him questions to like lead to the the solution. And he says, you know, oh, it's probably a, a shifter seal or something. And I'm looking at the seals and everything, and it looks okay. There's not much oil on the ground. So can you stop chewing the chips, please? <laughs> He's playing around. Guess who's chewing now? Jeez. Lucas. <laughs> um, and so a couple, of, you know, a few questions, a couple minutes goes by, and I realize that there's probably way too much oil in the bike. Yeah. So I pop the oil fill, and I, I look in there, and I, I can see it's like three inches from mm-hmm. the... Oh, goodness. Wow. So That's I ask like so him, like, what happened, dude? He's like, oh, I did an oil change. Uh, uh, and then I put oil in it, and then I rode to work, <laughs> and then I noticed it was smoking, so I put another cord in. Oh. And then, uh, and then I started pissing oil everywhere, so I put another cord in. Oh. And I was like, okay, wait, walk me through this oil change you did. He's like, well, um, I pulled off the filter, and then some oil came out, and then I put the I put a new filter in, and then I topped it off two, two cords. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, so I'm like, you have like four and a half cords in here. <laughs> no wonder it's pissing oil everywhere. Um, so he's lucky he didn't blow us. Luckily, yeah. his breather actually comes out the top of the crankcase. 
Hmm. So not act, not the top of mm. the. Oh, there's two breathers. So hope, luckily it didn't. Yeah, exactly what Adrian said. Build up too much pressure and uh, and blow a seal. So that's um, like so much we, oil increase friction. We got it down to the garage here, and he uh, drains it, and it just about fills up the entire oil drain pan. Wow. No, it, f- wow. it filled up one, it and then another one, half and then one. Went to the other one. Oh, jeez. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. So then the. <laughs> <laughs> so you bad. put the appropriate amount of oil in, and it it, it ran just fine. Uh, so that was that was the easiest possible fix, I think. Um, Good and, rescue. And thank you, uh, Andy's bike. Uh, turns out there was uh, problems with a hanging idle. Um, one of his uh, vacuum ports was not plugged off. You know the vacuum port on the car mm-hmm. boot. So we plugged that up. That helped a lot. And then uh, it still had this hanging idle thing. So as it was doing it, I just backed out the idle screw down to a regular idle. And then... Uh, and then it was fine. So it was, but it was weird when you, when you started it, it would idle normally. But as soon as you gave it throttle, it would go up to like four or five and right. hang there. Right. That's what mine would. That's do. really no. bizarre. Um, even though I you know backed out the idle screw, you know three or four turns to get it to come down. Can you stop? Stop eating. Oh God. <laughs> Haters gone hate. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes we are. So then we. Uh, yeah, you uh, are. <laughs> We richened the fuel air a little bit, and then it, it, it was rideable. So he rode it around. He rode it around for like two minutes, came back. Cat was like, "Well, go out and ride it for like another five, ten minutes." You know, <laughs> he's gone for like an hour. Oh, like an hour and a half. So <laughs> I run Alex home, and we pass Mission Street, and there we see him zipping by. I'm like, "Well, I guess he likes it." So that cool. was that was cool too. That was an easy fix too. So. So I got a call from our friend Buck on her Harley. That she's been doing a lot of miles on this Harley that is, it's an old bike, but she had it completely, the engine rebuilt in 2013. Uh-huh. And um, she's been having it kind of popping and stalling and not feeling right. And she took it to a local shop who for a tune-up and got it back and it was running worse. Oh, no. And so then she took it back. Oh, and um, it... it, it they did like a they said they did an oil change but then it had like no oil or no the oil bag was full it was overflowing like they put too much in which shop is this and well, we I'm not gonna not say because no we're not we're not sure that they did anything wrong uh-huh. um, it, it's as if it wasn't circulating so it was going up to the oil bag but not back down um, and then took it back to them and they changed out the oil pump and gave it back and then it was smoking and her side cover where the uh, primary drive is was full of oil she's like what are they doing and she didn't trust what they're doing and they said well if it's still having this problem you're going to need a complete rebuild engine rebuild you're looking at four weeks and twenty five hundred dollars and she was just distraught so she called me up for a second opinion um i had her describe everything that it's doing i'm like i i don't know but i Took it to another mechanic here uh, that I've uh, that I know of, and we talked to him. And neither of us could come to the conclusion that it was catastrophic, like they were saying. It sounded like somebody who just doesn't have time to deal. So I'm just going to throw out that offer. But um, as we're going through everything, and he points out that her coils have a crack in them, hmm. ah. and and That'll she's like. 
Yeah, two weeks ago, somebody hit my bike and knocked it over. Oh, shit. Like, Dara was your leading story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, right there. Um, the face palm was so intense, it was and five miles away. we thought away. that hypothetically it's possible when they did an oil change, maybe they put in too much oil, but since they're a Harley-only shop, highly doubt it. Well, they're used to putting a lot of oil in. It's possible. (laughs) (laughs) It's possible it wasn't circulating. There was a clog. And then when it was in the primary cover, um, we think that maybe if there was too much oil, we're not sure, but it's possible that that oil seal blew out. Or just from high mileage how many miles are on this engine we don't know there's no gauges or lights or speedometers or anything like where i work they sell all the bikes once they hit 60k and just like it's not even worth it anymore so basically both uh, the other mechanic and i concluded that you're probably not going to need a a complete engine rebuild but bring it on back to him and he's going to check compression and check a couple things the spark plugs were totally clean they were tan they were they looked perfect so she felt much better about that her poor little baby is sick Mm. but as i was at the shop helping her out i got a call from our very own little zach oh hi Uh, (laughs) what happened hi zach Zach. uh my so i was i decided i was going to take my sv on a nice long ride because it'd been working pretty (laughs) well that's what you do when you first revive a bike (laughs) and well and the thought also what i probably was going to go too far but the thought also was to let anything that was mechanically going to go wrong to go wrong Uh and uh so it kind of was squeaking a little bit. Well, first it was leaking coolant, so I tightened the clamp that fixed that, and then it was squeaking a little bit, and I thought that was just the rear brake kind of sticking, um, and then it started kind of making more like a <laughs> kind of noise. <laughs> <laughs> so and the mouse then, went from squeaking yeah, to getting busy. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, I started to get. A, I was on the one. And I was just just past Watsonville and just started to get a lot of vibration and so I pulled the clutch in to let the engine spin down and the rear wheel feels like it's just kind of weaving oh, <laughs> so I pulled off I was at that, that that spot with the motorcycle sculptures where I got the booty shorts yeah okay um, I was like right there right so before Moss Landing yep. yeah so I pulled uh-huh. off there and um, went to go take my rear caliper off and it looked like the rotor was in the process of eating the caliper mounting bolts <laughs> how did that happen <laughs> Um, but I got I got it all off, and uh, looks like the rear wheel bearings grenaded right at that moment. Yikes. So what? Is, how did with the with the caliper and well, it, well, the, the rotor got so out of balance? The, oh, that it, started, it started vibrating. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, Usually you could just get a, a a grinding feeling or yeah. no noise, but I didn't, didn't know they actually came off like that. What's um man? I've never heard of a wheel bearing failing on oh. anything but a dirt bike. Oh, oh yeah. I, I had yeah. I've had wheel bearings yeah. fail before. I was going to jump in and say my XR, but that'd be a dirt bike. Yeah, actually, I wait, had, wait, you, no, because I remember fixed, that you fixed said problem, right? <laughs> no, I, I mean it's it's sitting there, and it I have bearings coming on Monday, so next oh. next week probably. Well, I was talking about Adrian because I know I own that bike. So. <laughs> yes, 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 yeah, it's fixed. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, well, th- so you had to get picked up, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Some wow. o- some other things that happened today. Uh, James was here today working on his CB five fifty. Uh huh. He, he, he got made one a more little piece more progress. On. Yes. <sighs> Bless his little heart. <laughs> He's like, you know, I think I'm just going to take it home and finish it. I'm I'm waiting on some bolts. What bolts are you waiting on? Well, it says I need to use the flange bolts on the engine cover. Just use a hex bolt. <laughs> <laughs> Like, no, but uh, it won't look right. Uh, it's not. That's not time period. Uh, <laughs> it's not like appropriately sun damaged either. And, uh, Desmond was here replacing his. Yeah, why is his bike here? 
It's still here? I, I don't know. It no. was here the other no, day. Oh, yeah, it's left. here because our very own Megan used her wiles and convinced him he she needed <laughs> his brake lines more than he did. She but, used her wiles to oh convince me to help God, her fix by that. By wiles, I do believe you mean boobs. <laughs> she promised me beer in my defense. Because so. <laughs> brake lines are scarce for the SV650? <laughs> no, uh, she, she installed put bars. upright bars yeah. on hers and needed longer brake lines. Yeah. yeah. And she knew somebody with them. So Holy who, who wasn't using them at the time? <laughs> right. So she told like, me he got steel braided brake lines. That's so, true. He did have new brake lines coming in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Coming he was, in. He, okay. Yeah, he was upgrading to steel. Okay, I can see that then. Yeah. So he worked on that and replaced his master cylinder completely because apparently he couldn't get a master cylinder rebuilt kit for a Jixer. Is that cr- true? Lucas? Really? What? For yeah. What year? He, I don't know. His front end is from a Jixer. He said he couldn't find a master cylinder rebuild kit, so he had to buy a used master cylinder. I, I don't know if he's just totally wrong or if that's like some serious bullshit right there, you know? Because yeah. I know that um, 2006 through like 2012, Jixers all had a recall on the master cylinder. Uh, maybe so, that's why. Yeah. Maybe maybe nobody fixes them because you get to take them in for free and they do the uh, recall service on them. So, okay. Yeah, they got thrown away. Because usually the 0607 is like the favorite Jixer front end for the SV swap. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, master cylinder recall, so. Right, but if you put it on a different bike, you can't take it in for the recall. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You want to go like, wait, this is an SV. Oh, and um, Andre? came by today on his new GS500. He sold the CM. Did you know that, Doug? No. Yeah. Yeah, he, he sold the CM for 850. 850 and he bought a GS500 for 800. Who is this? Andre, uh, remember the one who did was here the other week? That's Andy. Andy. Oh, Andy? I that's thought it was Andre. I, no, it's no, Andy. Andre's another guy. That's who I was oh, talking sorry, about. Andy, yes. With the hanging idol. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. so he sold sold that and bought yes. the GS. He's very happy. Do I, do I know Andy? Yeah, he's Well, now he is, times. now that it's working right. Yeah. Um, and then, well, Evan, his forks on his uh, Ninja 250 mm-hmm. were slightly askew. Very... And Wonky. so I taught him the method of the loosen all the heart. bolts and whack it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I, I knew you were going to say that. Precision adjustment. Yeah. You find a corner and then you go bang, bang, bang. No, he, uh, you did have a little bit of a hiccup when oh, yeah. I said take the fender off. Yeah. Here's a lesson for people to learn. When you're using the ratcheting wrenches. The gear wrench, yeah. And you put it on the head of a bolt and you back that up all the way into the tire and it can't come out. You're well, not now you can't to... screw it back in because you've got a one-way ratchet. So the wheel came off. That's simple fix. Right? So he was so like... So that's why it came off. I was kind of So the wheel had that. to come off. Yep. Yeah. So how did that work out for you? Um, well, now I have some kind of weird uh, issue where the bike kind of feels unstable. I think Adrian wrote it and said it, quote, it was bouncy. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I rode it around and on s- smooth. Uh, what's up with my mic? Check your mic cable. Uh oh. You don't work at a drive through, do you? No. I, 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 <laughs> okay, here we go. Difficulties. So, um, so, yeah, I rode it around um, and on smooth pavement, it does fine. It's smooth, it tracks well. Um, any sort of bump, though, and you get a slight oscillation in the suspension. You go a little back and forth. Like on Washington out here, hmm. it's like you get and. On a smooth pavement, when you hit the gas pretty hard, um, it'll accelerate and pull nicely, but you'll get a, like a light lifting. Like a You're, doesn't that sound like low dun, fluid to you? Dun. On the front end? Yeah. 
could be it, like too much rebound it's, and it's, not enough preload. It's tough to know. You know, everyone has to. Each person that rides it could get a different feeling from it, but like you had said, maybe another thing to do is to re-loosen everything, bounce the front end, and then torque it to spec. See if it does it again, you know? Yeah, so what we did when we came back was um, loosen it up, and then it looked like the wheel might be slightly off on the fork tube, and then um, I mentioned that he had some trouble lining the axle up. So I'm like, oh, okay. Took off the handlebars to make sure the fork tubes were level because it was smooth beforehand. Then we changed, you know, forks and wheel, and then it became unsmooth. So that's why we didn't consider fluid because it was smooth before. Um, and that's where we left it. Yeah, the bike rode nice before, and yeah. One one thing one thing you might want to check is uh, when you pull the axle out, check to see if it has a slight bend in it, mm. yeah, because bumps on the front end can bend the the front axle pretty easily. You know, bumps against a curb, against curb, um, low siding and having it slide and bump into something. I mean, one of the axles on my bikes are is is slightly bent. And it makes it difficult to hmm, get on right. and off. So, but it's very subtle. You have to measure whether that be with a piece of glass or a flat plate of steel, and kind of roll the axle on the the plate of That's steel. That's a good point because mm. it wasn't uh, Megan's Ninja Five Hundred. It wasn't that one that had a bent axle that was causing problems. I can't remember. Yeah, everything was bent on that thing. <laughs> yeah, but um, completely just lost what I was going to say. Wow. Well, you want to come back with that one? Yeah, sure. Well, next, <laughs> next week, if you want, you can ride mine and see if there's a, a large discrepancy. Sometimes I know that when I work on my bikes, I go like, shit, no, I've, I've, I've done fucked it up. Right. And then I, I ride it a little bit, and I'm like, no, I'm just freaking out. And yep. so if you ride mine and feel that it's definitely different, maybe you can narrow it down mm-hmm. by comparing the two as yeah. well. Yeah, that's. I, I figured that might be a factor. That's why I had Adrian jump on it. So. Yeah, um, that's when we're thinking of suspension. I mean, when I came back in, I was fully expecting to get off of it and be able to just squish it to the ground and move it around. But mm-hmm. the suspension actually seemed okay on that one. Like mm-hmm. it did it down, up, and then returned. It didn't do a uh, pogoing like I expected yeah, so it to. Yeah, so just loosen everything and we'll try and seat it again. Nice. And I wanted to give um, a thanks to my neighbor, Alan, who rescued yeah, yeah. us Alan. again. Uh, we Alan, took a couple Alan. of projects over there. <laughs> Alan! Alan! Uh, Alan! Alan! <laughs> no, it's Steven. I was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, bagel got an engine guard welded up. Yeah, crash bar. Crash bar, which One. I was oh, nice. trying to do here, and I was just making big blobs. blobs Your <laughs> helmet was not working for me the other day. I had to weld that my kickstand. That explains why I was blinded. Yes. I had to weld my kickstand with no helmet. And just okay. using the closing I, eyes I method. just closed my eyes. <laughs> I think I got it needs a new battery. Yeah, I think it needs new batteries. Yeah, the batteries. I was like, I can't see what Did I'm you doing anymore. Right <laughs> and I just kept going and oh, trying to... You look no. out the sides and yes, I just kept yeah, going. Yeah, you just took like 10 years off your sight. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, who said that? What? What? Oh, uh, oh, there you are. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. so, and Matt, Alan, Alan came through and welded that up like a champ. Matt had beautiful. headers off of his Jeep here with tons of cracks in them. Yeah, but this isn't. Oh, did you weld up your headers too? Yeah, yeah. We we took them off my XJ and uh, got them welded up, but the part just break a week later. Mm. Yeah. So we my took life. over to Alan where he used his MIG on on the header and it has the most amazing beautiful sound it's not like crackling bacon it's a buzzing it's, like, it's, it's sizzling bacon like like a mouse shooting a machine gun did it, you know? <laughs> it's just so did nice. it did it have a big tank on it 
It's oh, he's got, yeah, he, he's got, he's got an argon tank. Yeah. yeah, that's that's why. It's so nice. Yep. And then he pulled out the TIG to work on bagels, crash guard, and oh, it's so yeah. nice to have a neighbor like that. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. awesome. So nice, but yeah, we'll see. I, Matt, you thought he was—he's doing pretty good well, huh? Yeah, they, they and, were nice, and he was quick about it, which is. And you know, typical so Alan. He's like, well. Um, you know, I'll let you use my machine if you want. And he goes in there and just starts welding and just keeps going. <laughs> you know, it's like I hate to bother you, and he just he just does the whole thing for yeah. you. Yeah, well, he likes he likes projects that he can finish quickly, successfully yeah. for other people. So. You're, gonna, really you're nice. gonna need him during the zombie apocalypse. Like, believe me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're gonna you're gonna need to put like giant spikes on your armored car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah when Ma- your windows or, with steel. Yeah. 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 Or oh, when Mad Max happens, change you know. the spike bar ends on your jigsaw. Yeah. When. Not it. <laughs> and then yes. I know Actually, those that got recalled. I, heard. I know that uh, Zach and James took a little trip today yep. to both go pick up bikes, but we're not going to talk about it today. Okay, okay. we're not going to talk it about it. All right, let's just talk about so, just so else. he knows that we're going to save that. So there's two new projects coming into the shop. Oh, uh, really? Little teaser. Yeah, Who just will a little live? teaser. Who will die? So we'll see. <laughs> two bikes enter, one bike leaves. Same bat. <laughs> same bat <laughs> time. Same bat channel. <laughs> two bikes enter, one bike. Leave. That's actually good odds for us, actually. Yeah. Yeah. How many bikes that don't run around here? I wanted to quickly read a couple emails. Yay! Yay. Emails. Yay. I got mail. Yay! <laughs> so. I guess working at scooters doesn't count either. No, not not today. Okay. Um, This is from our buddy Steve, who has emailed us before. Hey, Steve. And uh, Steve says, uh, I've ridden motorcycles before, and now in later years I'm coming back to riding. I've narrowed down my choices to three bikes and would like your input. The KLR, the Versus, and the V-Strom have made my list, and now I'm stuck. Which V-Strom? So... I have the quick and easy answer. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I would agree. Which, so, which V-Strom? The big one. Um, it's a big one. Probably, they're probably all the 650s. So I'm going to say, if you're going to do any dirt riding, get the KLR. If you're going to do tight, twisty roads, get the Versus. If you're going to do touring, get the V-Strom. All of them will do all of those things, but I think what I just listed are the ones that do those things better. So shouldn't you pick the bike? Uh, I would say the the V-Strom and the the Versus are equally as capable of touring. Yeah. Yeah, I like the Versus for touring. And I would would be more comfortable in a Versus and Twisty Mountain Roads, too. So I would just say bypass the... Bypass the V-Strom altogether. There there is a feature the KLR has that the other bikes don't, though. It's indestructible. (laughs) (laughs) They're both yeah. cowies. You so. cannot no. You cannot kill a KLR. It's impossible. It's a killer. I mean, if I was going to go travel through <laughs> South America, I'd take the KLR. Yeah, yeah, dude. You can like replace the chain with like pantyhose or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it'll never die. Like, South nice. America, Lompico, same thing. Same right? thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless you just want to wait in one area. Unless you just want to wait for the new Africa twin. Yeah. They're making a new Africa twin. Oh, yes. Yeah. Honda's actually doing something cool. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I, everyone's been drooling over that one this week. So, uh, hey, this is from our buddy Furman. Um, so Furman says, "Hey, I had a bonus Monday with two great shows. Enjoy your comments about the Superbike Championship racing. Uh, the Yamaha FJL9 FCO7 reviews were cool too. Uh, yes, there is there are posers in all types of motorcycling. Referring to the guy in the tracksuit yeah. who was doing the test rides, who was pissing me off." 
Um, he said the interview with Mike Corbin was very informing about his history and the custom seat business. Uh, we asked for comments on Corbin's seats, and he had bought a used BMW that came with um, with a stock seat and a sergeant seat, and he didn't like either of those, so he ordered a Corbin, which came with a bracket that wasn't quite right. They sent him some parts to fix it, or they said you can send it back and we will fix it. It just needed a rivet to put the part on. Um, it still didn't fit right. He took it to a local shop and they re reshaped the foam. And after that, it was good. I think it, it goes back to, you know, if you can get to the Corbin factory and have them carve it to your ass. That's, you know, exactly yeah, what you need. Worth it. Yeah. He says, you know, after all that, he, he would buy another seat from them again. Um, he pointed out that no one, and Bagel, I'm going to point to you mm -hmm. why you didn't say okay. something. Okay. No one asked Mike about the Austin Powers Gold Member movie. Ah, the yes. The little cars in the car chase from Roboto's You're Warehouse right. are Corbin Sparrows. No way. Yes, they are. Oh. Really? They're Corbin Sparrows with a custom tail that like curled back Curls up. up like a Dutch shoe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> this is so weird. I love shoes. He loved the part in the uh, in the Mike Corbin interview when we asked him what his up the bike up the bike up the butt bike was. And Mike said, uh, I was in the Navy. I know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> um, and on his last email, he told us that his up-the-butt bike was a KTM Super Duke. That's when I deemed that our first true butt-worthy bike. Uh, any, well, I, 990, 1290, but I think the 1290 he wanted. 1290? Uh, but he would consider the Aprilia Tuono. For his butt. At least until he has to do a valve adjustment. Um, he still <laughs> thinks like front only. He thinks our <laughs> podcast audio is the best. Thank you very much. Nice. The group's interviewing skills are very good. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you for the email. Awesome. Nice. Thank yes, you. Thank you very much. Hey, anyone want to guess? What's next? What time it is? Is it time for the? No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> is it time to say who's here? No. Oh, wait. Actually, wait, how to get a hold of us? You're going to ask me all about what I've Can been I doing. Can I look at the that thing right? that I'm not supposed to look at? Oh, yes. <laughs> what about that elephant in the room? <sighs> you want to know about the thing? Yes. I'll tell you about the thing. So I get to the garage today, and, and there's this it's thing on the bench, and I ask Liza, what is it? And she says, everybody, don't look at around. that thing on yes. the bench. It's, it's, show, so, it's showing time on the Motorcycles Misfits podcast. When my dad travels, I ask him to bring me back motorcycle magazines from different countries. And this time, he actually brought something pretty cool. It's a about a 12-inch long model of a motorcycle <laughs> made with found trash in Africa. It looks cool. Oh, yeah. We, we have uh, shoe polish wheels, like shoe polish can wheels. It's like, yeah. It's like made um, out of little soda cans and shit, right? Yeah. So um, it's a little thicker like, than soda cans. Aerosol just, cans. Why don't you call it? No, no, no. Those, those are like chew tins. Yeah. Spray plus shoe, compared yeah, to tobacco. something, something. And English some of these black, are like old deodorant. brands and stuff. Yeah. Um, what would you say the bike resembles? The ga the cylinder is a it's gigantic a, capacitor. It's a supermoto. Hmm? That's that, a really long swing. A little long for a wheelbase for a supermoto. I would say Come it on, looks look like a Kajiva elephant. It's got the engine, obviously. Oh, I'll pass that around. Oh, yeah, sorry. it's got the Hayabusa So engine. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> Extended swing arm. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a hill climb supermoto. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'd actually call it a hill climber. No, we are actually getting to the... Craigslist porn pick of the week, but I have a lead-in for that. 
Yeah, look at this thing. More lead. The thing is port. pretty cool. I like it's even got like yeah, working rear suspension awesome. and everything. Like the handlebars turn. It's like ghetto fabulous. I think it's awesome. I'll take a picture. It's gotta work. Yeah, dude, it actually does have like a spring for a shot. Oh, you just fucked up the brake line. Look at that. There is a your face fucked up the brake line. Cable. Yeah. Uh, is that an aerosol can for are, are, you gas, done, gas are you done passing yes, it around? It All right. So um, a local friend of mine has two teenage kids and said, hey, both of my kids want to get into riding. One of them wants a dual sport. One wants a scooter. I have about a thousand dollar budget for each. Can you uh, point me towards some bikes? So I immediately contacted Bagel about the scooter stuff. Because when I was looking on Craigslist in the thousand dollar range, I'm either finding 80s Japanese scooters, which are well made, but something that old may be breaking down, especially with a teenager riding it. Yeah, it'll need some work. Or I was looking at Chinesium scooters that are just a couple years old or almost new. Um, They're probably not going to last as long as an 80s. So the the question I'm posing to the group, when you know it's going to be a teenager riding, because remember when Jake got that moped, she was like doing jumps on speed bumps and stuff. She was like, yeah, on that moped. I know. She was dragging her pegs or pedals or whatever. Um, So my question to the group, since it's a teenager, and I figure there's a different set of rules for getting something for a teenager, do you go with an 80s Jap scooter or do you go with something newer (laughs) (laughs) or do you go with something newer that's Chinesium because my theory is if it's a few years old and and still it's still around and running good that maybe you got one of the good ones that's pretty yeah. optimistic. That's, That's well, very optimistic. It could be like 30 seconds from having a catastrophic engine failure. Yeah, know? I mean, that could be why they're selling it. So could a Chinese one. No, I'm talking about a Chinese oh. one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. oh yeah. I think that that's, I mean, you also have to look at, will a kid be able to, well, a teenager, will they have the mental capacity slash patience to fix something if it does go wrong? And if they do, then you should totally get them the Chinesium one because then they Ooh. can learn... They could learn even more on how to fabricate things because they can't find parts or how to do. Th- I think it'd be Mountain Dew can parts. to make things work. Like <laughs> I think that would be really cool and a good learning experience. But you have to have the right type of kid to do that. Or you know, yeah. the itch you could seize and kill them. You know, there's that. Yeah, or the well, rear wheel could fall off, or the rear axle. Or that, or an '80s scooter that's, that's got good. I don't know how many thousands of miles on it. Yeah. That you could find a cream could puff. go at any yeah. moment too. I'd actually I'd side on the uh, Chinesium. I think mm-hmm. mostly because if you think about it, it's a it's a teenager. It's like yes, they're going to do horrible things to it. Um, <laughs> horrible, however, horrible things. Um, we all approach purchasing bikes on the except unless your name is Bo on the long term basis. <laughs> <laughs> we expect them to last more than a year. I don't know who right. that is, but burn on you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's one of the he's the president of the Slow Vamps. Oh yeah. Um, he's also active. I don't know him. Um, oh, Bo- yes, that one. Yeah, I thought you meant like B.O. I'm like, what? No. Um, but, you know, we expect them to last more than I a year. I heard that guy's a badass. I want to meet him. <laughs> <laughs> Works in a sock shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he fills up the socks with, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a wide stance, though, doesn't he? Oh. Um, <laughs> That's just his regular bow legged. <laughs> Anyways, um, we expect them to last more than a year or two years or three years. You know, some sort of not investment, but we want to get practical use out of it. A year for a teenager is a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. totally. So. I know. Yuri, what do you think? Go Chinesium um, and newer scooter? You know, I'm, I'm old school here. There's a million jogs out there. There's a million Aero 50s. Um, 
you got an elite 80 out in your parking lot yeah you can't go wrong with one of those i mean five to five to eight hundred dollars it gets trashed it gets trashed throw it in the gutter and move on you know um i don't see anything wrong with those we grew up on the reva 125s the yamahas um the reva 180 was a was a good was a good scooter but um, it was a little more powerful and it was a little more heavy. But that uh, Elite 80, it was the go-to model. Yeah. So, I mean, they've lasted a long time. And usually the only problems that happen to those is the, the, the oil gets a little low and it starts squeaking. And you just find the little plug and add a little more oil. I mean, they, they go forever, you know? Well, mm-hmm. so, I mean, but what do you think of my theory that if it has higher mileage, that maybe it's one of the good ones that's going to survive? Yeah, I mean, I mean it, you're also that much closer to it failing. So yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it could go either two, way. It's a two-way street. Yeah, in the used market, you just got to be conscious of what you're after and what you're looking at. I mean, if you see something that's that's just totally seaside rusted, you know, from the Sunset District <laughs> in in San Francisco, then you know it's not for you. But if you find one up in Scotts Valley that's been in a garage for ten years and gets run to Ernie's liquors <laughs> once every three months. I mean, Drunk and it's and it's all cherry. The paint's all there, and the passenger pegs fold down, and the seat doesn't have one hole in it. I mean, you're looking at your candidate yeah, right there. Not looking, well, you're not it, looking at an eight hundred dollar. It's moped, funny you right? say that because <laughs> now it is time. Because I asked Bagel it's to go time. on and find one example of both of these categories. Too, so so that we can pick that would be worth buying is that what you're saying yes yeah, so okay. it is now time for the craigslist porn pick of the week all right so before i go into my rant about various scooters um i will present these what i've found uh the first one is a 2009 lance scooter for a thousand dollars in socal uh, this is a Lance 150 scooter. Three. Where, where are those from? Is this a Chinese this is, scooter or is this, is this a version of Vespa? Pure Chinesium. Okay. Uh, this is a. Uh, this is uh, has 300, 300 miles in very nice shape. Mm-hmm. Electric wow. start, auto trans will sell with helmet for a thousand dollars. Wow. Very pretty bike. It's black and red. Looks very clean. Has a nice big lance on the floorboard. Mm, like, take a look at that, Lucas. What do you yeah. think of that? I think if it only has 300 miles on it, I'd take that. You know, like, you, well, get, you got at least another 300 miles for it fucking blows up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, but here's the thing. This is a six-year-old bike with oh, that 300 is true. miles on it. Well, I think it would be important that. to know if they put, like, a mile on it every week or they just let it sit for, like, five years after yeah. putting 300 miles on it. You yeah. Know? All right, what else That's did most you find? So, yeah, so now the other, the other bike that I found is a 2007, which is older. This is eight years old. Uh, Kimco Agility 125, also for $1,000. Uh, this is located in Sebastopol, quite a ways from here. But this says it is a nice scooter with windshield, high-intensity LED headlight, really lights up the road, uh, large, car- large cargo container, a.k.a. top box, although this really looks like it's a 
cargo container that's been <laughs> milk crate status. Say Matson on the side, like milk, milk, milk crate, and then some. This ha- this bike has ten thousand miles, but runs great. Top speed is over sixty miles an hour. Recently, super oh, speed wobble, super though. tuned. <laughs> New spark plug, battery choke coil, and high performance CDI. Always CDI. Sega CDI. It's the 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 ignition computer ignition. ignition. Do you really um, want to give an enhanced CDI? And how much was this one? Well, this one's a thousand dollars. Always use Lucas motor and gear oil for top performance. That's me, baby. Yep, <laughs> quality right there. Yep, <laughs> it's like, a name you can trust. Like, like this scoot a lot, but ready to move up to a larger one. Has a few minor scuffs and scrapes, but nice looking. And it does come with a windshield as well. Now, Kimco is a Taiwanese scooter manufacturer. They've been around for years and years and years. Yeah. I was just going to say it's actually, not Chinese. Yeah, they, they actually make bikes for the major Japanese manufacturers like Honda and Yamaha and Kawasaki uh, under license. Uh, they make engines and, and other components and parts. But they make their own lines of scooters, and these are... Yeah, these are, are plastic bodied scooters, not particularly stylish as far as my my taste goes, but they're very good bikes. They they ride very well. Um, and um, you know, and this this is this is one that personally I would recommend with ten thousand miles over the Lance with three hundred miles. miles. Yeah. Now my thought about these is now, I, I have heard many, many stories about Chinese scooters. These are bikes that are basically brought into the United States by the container load. Um, they may not even necessarily have DOT approval. A lot of the ones that are registered and on the road probably do. But keep in mind that these are bikes that are mass-produced, and they are sold under fictitious brand names, essentially. These are brand names that are just slapped on the bike literally with like like stickers that you would get at the craft store with the the, the name of the company on there it's a kawasaki yeah something <laughs> like that it sounds you like there's a lot of so, parts i smell these, favoritism well, here well there are there are parts available because these are a lot of these are very generic bikes that are produced by various manufacturers in china the same type of thing but there is no dealer support there is no real Parts no, you just buy another one available. at the flea market. You're on your <laughs> way. You buy another one at the flea market or yeah. look on eBay for your parts. But the, the thing is that there there's nothing backing this bike. Um, now, the Kimco, even though it is out of warranty by this point, I'm sure, uh, there are still parts that are going to be available for it. There are still going to be shops where you could take it to have it repaired and done properly. A Chinese bike, no one is going to want to touch it. Now, you could try and figure out how to work on it and by yourself. You know, that's possible. But the other thing, too, is that these Chinese bikes are typically made with very low-quality materials, very low-grade steel. Which is why it's perfect <laughs> for a teenager, because they heal faster. I, I have to, you know, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I would have to disagree, because I, if, I, if I had a child, I would not, them, not want them riding a bike that's made with low-grade steel, including axle shafts, yep. that could snap in the middle of riding down the road and throw them off and kill them. They're made out of, like, melted-down so, pots. Uh, but it, based <laughs> literally. <laughs> yeah, yes, literally, literally. I'm not joking. <laughs> built of well, real quickly, what do you all think consensus? Go with the 300-mile bike for 1000 or the 10,000-mile bike for 1000 bucks. I go with the one that's, like, Kimco. I go shape. with the Kimco. Yeah. yeah, Kimco. I say an old Honda. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, I, that's what I had growing up. My my 
parents thought it'd be a good idea to give me a 82 1982 honda xr80 right it was mm-hmm. a, a beautiful oh, yes. beautiful paint and a little bit of body work here and there I, we fixed up we redid the seat he cleaned the dad cleaned the carbs and stuff this is i was like 14 15 and I, I learned to respect this bike as like this is something that looks nice it rides nice you know it's my job to take care of it and i learned that you know that's that's how it should be and yeah. that, that you start them early you yeah. know instead of buying them a piece of sh- piece of shit right mm-hmm. you you can swear on the internet yeah <laughs> your and mom's not gonna start writing a sangry letter is she well <laughs> I, used to do no, I, I would i would not ar- I, I would not argue with you there um i would i would much rather trust an old honda from the 80s than a brand new chinese bike to be honest oh yeah um the only yep. thing is in, in this situation she's buying this for her kids she's on a limited budget um, and trying, and I don't think that they're mechanically inclined, so they're not. I have a feeling that they're not going to be working True. on the bikes themselves, True. and there are not a lot of shops around that are going to be want, willing to work on them. So that's why I'm advising that the Kimco would be a better choice because it, it is a supported bike and is going to be fairly reliable, like the, like the older Japanese bikes. Um, it's just that if if you do need to have it worked on, it's going to be more feasible to work on it or have somebody find somebody to work on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Well, I think um, that helps me in, in coming up with. I'm going to recommend the Chinesium just because I want to see someone get one and have a test subject. So it's for your Why own personal. Why don't you buy a Chinesium, Liza? Yeah. Tell us how you like it. Yeah. <laughs> when, when it doesn't last more than 500 miles. You know, and the foot pegs break off while you're riding. If you're to lucky. James's Chinesium bike. Oh, it's, oh, it's seized. It's Derped. seized, yeah. Yeah. Oh, not worth the rebuild. Point it's in pieces. Ne- needs a new engine. We have a very special guest tonight. In the house is Yuri Berrigan, who's about to go to Isle of Man and race Manx GP on a supermoto. This is the first time anyone has been accepted to race supermoto in the Manx GP. Yay! Say hello, Yuri. Hey, everybody. Uh, Yuri's been racing since about 93. You've done AFM, you've done some motocross, and you're gearing up to go to Isle of Man to do uh, the Manx GP. Sweet. So, uh, thanks for coming. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, just a couple questions here uh, for the beginning. Um <coughs> So how long have you been riding? Um, I got my first motorcycle in uh, August of 1988. Prepare to be jealous. Dang. <laughs> 1988. What was it? Um, it was Honda's first try at a new type of motorcycle. It was the uh, NX250. Nice. So it was the uh, water-cooled motor, but it had long travel suspension. It was, it was probably... The first bike that one of the big five corporations um, mass produced that was that was half street, half dirt. It didn't it didn't go so well in the dirt, but you said big five. Like who's the fifth? Um, you got the BMW Japanese. So yeah, so you got the so you got yeah, so you got BMW in there. Okay. Uh, back the, in '88, I I wouldn't say KTM was too much on the on the stage at that point. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. Definitely a good start. So why did you why did you start riding? Is this something your parents wanted you to get into, or is this something you went to them for? Or? No, no. So so long story, but um, in 1988, um, when when uh, I went to I went to sleep on a Friday night, and on <laughs> on this on the Saturday morning, my dad wakes me up early and he says, "Hey." We're going down to Laguna Seca. Um, there's Grand Prix motorcycle racing happening this weekend. Now, Grand Prix motorcycle racing back then was 500cc two strokes, 250cc two strokes. Name some of the racers in. 
Okay, so back then it was, uh, was Wayne, Wayne Gardner, Eddie Lawson. Lawson. Was Kenny um, Roberts there? Um, no, Kenny Roberts ha- was a team manager at that point. Okay. He, he was no longer riding. Okay, so you had um, Luca Catalora in the 250 class, John Kaczynski in the 250 class. Um, as far as the 125 class, there was no American riders that year. Not even a wild card, I don't think. It was all like Italian, Spanish, Swiss, German riders back then. Um, Anyways, so we went down there for the weekend in a little Volkswagen uh, bus, and we camped. Nice. Nice. Totally off the cuff. And um, it just blew my mind. Me and my brother were just, I mean... And you were how old were you? So I was 15. You're 15, okay. Uh, oh, actually, at that time in April, I was 14. I wouldn't be 15 till August of that year. So what happened was is I went home and that was it. Uh, all I wanted was a motorcycle. So <laughs> You knew what was right, going to happen. Right, so, right. So leading up to that, though, me and my brother had started noticing the new style of motorcycles. As you guys know, um, the GSXR came out in 86. Yeah. Uh. But, <laughs> but, being, but being born and raised in Santa Cruz, back, in, back then, Santa Cruz was a small town. It wasn't cosmopolitan and all things motorcycle were, were here the first year that things were introduced. That means there was nobody on those roads in the hills. Mm-hmm. Well, well, there was, but they were the on inline fours like KZ-1000s. Yeah. No one in our area had a GSXR. You know, because that was big money back then. So GSXRs didn't trickle onto the scene on our city streets till about mid-87. So mid-87 to April of 88, I mean, that's only a small area, you know. So Mm -hmm. we started noticing these full-fairing, plastic-looking, super, like, futuristic bikes. Then when we saw the 500 bikes, the bikes on the Grand Prix scene were already looking like that. They were full-fared. Yeah bright back then 80s everything was bright neon colors so like all cyan and magenta (laughs) yeah everything had had magenta wheels or neon green wheels with white fairing anyways so we come home and and i'm hooked and at the time california had a law that at 15 and a half you could have a motorcycle learner's permit before your driver's license. Oh. So you could ride. That's, ro- that's safe. Yeah, so you could ride, and there was no helmet law, remember? Uh, yep. So you could ride in the daytime and not on the freeway on a motorcycle at 15 and a half. Okay, so August, uh, from April, the weekend after that race, from that point to August, I scrimped and saved, <clears throat> and I got a motorcycle August 11th, the, the day I turned 15, I went and got that NX250. So you bought it brand new? Brand new brand from new. Uh, All American Honda. Damn. Coast Honda. What did you pay for it? Okay, so it was 28.95 out the door. I got hosed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was full pop plus uh, plus uh, interest, you know, on the loan. My mom co-signed for it. We 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 I didn't even ride it home. We wheeled it into a truck and it had to get trucked home because no one had a motorcycle license yet. That details. So so I had to wait a few months. Till I was 15 and a half, and on the day of six months past 15, I, I took the the motorcycle test in the back lot of the DMV, and uh, and I passed it on the bike 
only because I had been practicing on it in secret nice. around our city streets. <laughs> cool. Excellent. So, so yeah, so, ra- so just going to that one race got you hooked, huh? That's so, it. So like how throughout the years, how many bikes have you had like up until now? Oh man. Race bikes, anything. So so I was counting it up and you know, there's there's people out there that have had hundreds, you know, they're in their sixties and they've had hundreds, but I've had probably I probably had twenty three or twenty four bikes. That's not that's pretty. That's, that's, that's a pretty good collection yeah. over the, over a. It certainly is a respectable collection. You know, that's collection. only twenty five. That's not way overboard year, either. Yeah, twenty four years of of riding. How hooked did you say you were? <laughs> yeah, where's your? Dedi- <laughs> I question your dedication to sparkle motion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. So yeah, okay. Um, when you say so you started racing in ninety three, right? What was like, what was your first race like? Did you have full on butterflies or were you super confident? Like, what were you feeling? Um, and what what kind of race was it? Okay, so after that NX250, I rode that thing. I rode it. I didn't ride it into the ground, but I rode it, and it, it was freaking beat. So in <laughs> in November of 1993, I had saved up a, a, enough money. And, and if you remember at the time, the hot bike to have starting in 91 was the CBR F2. That was mm-hmm. the new Honda 600, and that started winning all the AMA races. The bike that that was the bike to have before that was the FZR 600. It handled good. It was a little low on power compared to the Hurricane, the CBR 600, uh-huh. the 8889 Hurricane. Well, anyways, the FZR 600 had twin headlights on the front, if everyone remembers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in 92, they went to a single headlight on the front, and I didn't like it. So I was hoping that they would bring the twin headlight back. Well, they brought it back in 93, and obviously looking at the mags, I knew it was going to be a twin headlight leading up to it. So I scrimped and saved all my money, and in November 93, they finally got one in at Seaside Yamaha down in Monterey. I went down there um, the day before Thanksgiving, and I remember it was right at closing because we had my dad had to get off work, blah, 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 5 o'clock, and we b- barely made it in there, and I rode it home in the dark with a T-shirt on from Monterey all the way home, freezing my <laughs> ass off. Pick, picked up a, um, a jacket from the house, and my friend already had a CBR F2, and I took that thing... And we went up Highway 1, and I, I made the thing go as fast as it would go. Right there, the first hour, first Dang. two hours I had it. So I wanted to point out that this is somebody who grew up riding on all of our streets mm-hmm. here. Yep. Right. What's, what's one of your favorite roads here? Um, so I, 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 my whole life, I've lived right at the bottom of Highway 9 right there over by by costco it's you know that's the real bottom of highway nine where mm-hmm. it starts yeah. lower below felton okay so i lived right there for you know 43 years so when i got that bike when i was 15 i i would leave school and i would go up highway nine and that that's just where i would spend my my days and having that nx i could go and ride highway nine up and down it then i could take a left turn into the forest and ride up the trails that lead up to empire grade in the dirt Mm -hmm. and then go across empire grade where Hmm. the christmas tree ranches into the logging property can't do that anymore (laughs) in bonnie dune and then you know it had a headlight so i could be gone way past dark in the forest and then make it all the way home by like 10 o'clock and then 
then go to school the next. <laughs> I'm thinking we need to go for a ride with your. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I agree. Got to air down first. <laughs> so, uh, what kind of race bikes have you had over the years? Like, what bikes specifically for racing have you had? Okay, so the and only then, uh, maybe touch on a little bit of your of your when you started racing supermotos. Okay, so the only. All my street bikes that I've owned, when I've taken them to go racing, I just would prep them for for the track, and then when I would return home from the track, I would take all the race fairings off, put all the street stuff back on, and just go ride it around. So the only true bread. Uh oh. Dogfight. Evan, do you mind chasing him? I will chase. Thank you. He found a squirrel. <laughs> Squirrel. No, there's some other dog out there. So the only purebred race bike I've ever owned is I, I at one point I owned what was called the RS125. It was a 1994. It's a two-stroke Grand Prix mm-hmm. bike. It's mm-hmm. an Aprilia, right? No, this oh. is the Honda Grand Prix bike that they sold to. They sold in limited numbers each season to club racers who wanted to get into um, racing. It used to be that kids and their families coming up through road racing you would start on a ysr 50 there was no such thing as pocket bikes so you would start on a ysr 50 on car tracks then you would transition to 125 two strokes so there was a tz 125 that you would buy from yamaha and you would buy this as a direct crated race bike and there was rs 125 race bike then the next step was the 250 two stroke that's how the classes were separated. It would be 125s, 250s, and then you would either move to a straight superbike or 600. So that that's the way. There there used to not even be a 600 class. You would you would race 750. This is all AFM, right? Yeah, but nationally it followed the same stepping stones. Like if you wanted to race on the national circuit, like. Um, John Hopkins, mm-hmm. he came up on a on a two-stroke 125 Grand Prix bike. Um, they then they would race the 250 Grand Prix bike. You know, everyone knows who um, Rich Oliver is, 250 national champion. So that was the middle class, the 252 stroke. Now the 252 stroke was a twenty thousand dollar motorcycle. I could never afford it. Mm. The 125s in the used market were around 2500 bucks but knew they were at the six grand and you would get a complete spares kit from honda etc etc why are the 250s 20 grand because of their their high performance and their um it was like all bleeding edge tech right right and it it was it was two two stroke you know 250s Mm -hmm. with um aluminum chassis and a full spares kit and they got like some fancy suspension or something in it oh full-on factory show a suspension came with it yeah was that yeah. back when like having a show a suspension was impressive <laughs> well, wow the, listen youngster y- y- yeah yeah so <laughs> i so, have a show of suspension on my jigsaw it's just no ulins so, you know yeah so you know you, you everyone everyone can look to the gold brand as being the standard right now but the 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 reality is is that the showa or the kyb stuff can be just as good but it takes it takes work you know it takes it takes a little bit of um kidding on the inside of them and, and and so forth but we're we're in a society now where we just want stuff to be right right out of the box so a lot of people go to those gold boxes and the swedish stuff you know instead of you know taking what they have and and reworking it to to the way they want it i mean it's all there the outer body is ready to accept the tuning 
So, so yeah. you were riding the, the smaller bikes, and didn't you then start moving up into like you ended up with the leader bikes at one point? Yeah, yeah. So around two thousand four. I had stepped away from 600s, and that, if everyone remembers, that was the year the ZX-10 came out, the new generation ZX-10. And everyone was like, oh, man, this thing is a, it's an animal. You know, you got to try it. So my brother got one, and uh, he, he I, at the time I had a GSX-R 600, and he got the ZX-10. I rode it one time and was like, I sold the GSX-R. <laughs> I got the ZX-10 started working on that thing and just threw tons of time and money at it and just got it so it took me like four seasons to get that thing to work um the only other person here in this area that i knew was riding one and developing everyone knows gary J. who gary J was yep gary Janey. yeah gary i think Janey. i heard the name okay, so he's a, he was a local rider out of, out of uh, scotts valley he was riding and developing one too so i kind of paralleled what he was doing and then he actually sold his and i kept going with mine and trying to develop it more and more um then i ended up selling that and i got uh a GS a 2006 GSXR 1000 rode that for a couple seasons. Then I got a 2008 ZX10R. So I I had a really good block of time, probably seven seasons on the leader bike. Wow! And so it took me a while to start riding that thing at Redline. You know, the power is is a lot more uh -huh. than a 600, but and it took me a while to adapt to that. And then it got to the point where I was totally comfortable on the 1000. And man, just doing some really fast race, fast riding up on Highway Nine. Yeah, <laughs> Everything is getting really Not fast. Racing, Spir spirited Actually, riding. I got a question. Spirited so riding for sure. You're doing about you did about seven years. You said or seven seasons on the leader bikes. Right. Um, what made you jump to sumo? Okay, so what what happened was is very quickly. Um, I wanted to get the bottom line is I wanted to get away from the 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 foolishness that was going on up in the mountains it was getting really out of control and i needed to go to the track because i had some long-term goals hold on can you say that again and look at lucas don't look at me that? i haven't been there in like a year and a half <laughs> <laughs> i've been like too busy doing shit to even go for a ride All right All right so so i started looking around and i went i looked back at what was i had always been following along what was going on with afm and who was doing what and so I was looking at a class that I could come back to participate in and not have a high overhead with um, with costs. So you run a leader bike with AFM, you're burning up a set of tires each weekend. Um, yeah. The costs go exponentially up. Racing is an expensive gig. I, I get that. So I started looking around, and the singles class started looking really competitive. And... The, the the cart tracks were getting a lot of um, participation, so I started looking around at bikes that I could maybe have as a street bike, but go participate in the singles class, maybe get on the um, cart track, um, have something to rip around on the back roads. So I started looking at all the dual sport bikes. Okay, so the DRZ 400, it didn't do it for me. Um, that was the last the last ride we went on together i think you were riding a, a yellow one right no no I, I had my wr on that ride oh was it yeah that was that was one of the other guys I or thought, something yeah, i thought, thought you, you had were a riding a dr no you weren't riding a DRZ. no i was riding a drz okay. i thought you were on a drz as well no no that's i had the wr that blue okay. bike um 
So what I did is I looked around at all the bikes and what was out there, and I didn't want to deal with a Honda uh, CRFX because of the electric output of the stator. What ended up happening is, it, looking across the specs, the W the the Yamaha WR throws out the most electricity to power all the lights. So I wanted to have something that could power blinkers and everything without rewinding the stator. Right. So that's what I went with, the WR. You're so. someone who really researches shit before you buy it, aren't you? Uh, RickyStater.com. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're gearing up to go to Isle of Man next month. That's to right. To do the, the Manx GP. Yeah. So how, like, uh, you're the first Santa Cruz person to ever be invited to go out there. That's got to be quite an honor. Right, right. So, so I, I know that we had a, another gentleman that um, participated um, as a sidecar passenger. I understand that. Um, yeah. So as far as I know, no one has has been accepted to be a rider in on a motorcycle. And what are you you're riding supermotos out there? Okay, so that's, that's, that's the deal here, is that no one in the history of the Manx GP or the TT, of course, has ever tried to bring a supermoto to the island to qualify. And that's what I'm trying to do. Nice. So... You know, this, this whole AFM thing the past four years has been gearing up and learning about the bikes and the motors and getting the necessary races in to qualify to apply for, for the Isle of Man. You got your work cut out for you. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't you worried that like the course isn't really suited for uh, supermotos? Like there are a lot of long straights, and you know I've seen the videos; those guys are pulling one sixty through turns and stuff. You know, most definitely. So <laughs> the thing is, is that if you look over the course, it's like you said, it's wide open everywhere. Now, an inline four one thousand or six hundred, all those bikes, you can go sixty thousand miles with that kind of riding, and not ever think twice about it. Okay, so the reason why I'm doing the supermoto thing is because, for that exact reason, everyone says it can't be done. So you want to be the guy who does it. You know? Right. I'd like to point out these ding-dongs can't even do the freeway on theirs. <laughs> so how do you expect <laughs> to be doing these big straightaways? Okay, so what I've done over the past four or five seasons with these bikes is figured out how... I can make the motors last, okay? In the short course racing with the AFM, you go for max horsepower, every trick in the book, you're trying to get max power out of these things. What I've done now is I've pulled the motors apart and I've backed down from max power and put in valve train components and transmission and crank components that are um, more robust, make less power but less rotational weight meaning i've lightened the cranks um i've used um top quality cp pistons in there and stainless steel valves i put wr long ratio transmissions in both bikes and geared to the moon which means super small sprockets on the back for top speed let me let me see your fingernails i don't think you're doing all this work yourself so what is the top speed (laughs) Okay, so right now I'm getting about um, anywhere from with with the with the current track stuff. There was a um, there was a radar gun there at one of the meets at Thunder Hill down the straightaway, and I was getting like 113, 115 with no bubble or aerodynamics on the front, just straight right. in the wind. Dang. Um, at Isle of Man, I'll be using a, a windscreen setup. I was wondering, okay. So I'm hoping to get 116 or 117 out of the bike, somewhere around there. 
with this gearing that I've never tried before, the 36 rear with paired with the 15 front, I'm hoping that I can get right there, maybe a little bit more with the bubble and a little bit more aerodynamics. And are there going are there enough turns in this that you're going to make up time in the turns? Well, see, here's the, here's the deal. The class that I'm racing in, the other the other machines that are in there are 400 inline four cylinders, so CB, CBR 400s, FZR 400s, RVF 400s. The other bike that's in there is the RS125. Now, if you look across the spec range of a RS125, an A-kitted one, meaning the hottest parts you can buy from Honda for that bike, is right in the 47 to 49 horsepower range at the rear wheel. My bikes make close to 60 horsepower right now. Oh, shit. So where wow. I'm down is aerodynamics. Yeah. So what bikes are these? What's up? What are you riding? Okay, so I have my WR450. Okay, so it's the same bike. Same okay. bike and a YZ450. They're, they're set up identical. The only difference is is one has an electric start and one doesn't. Gotcha. Cool. So, so yeah. the... Um, the, you do have to qualify and win in Manx to move on to TT? Well, the way, the way the selection process works is no one goes and applies to the TT, the, the Isle of Man TT race, which is, quote-unquote, the professional race. Everyone that you see in that TT race has come up through the Manx GP, meaning you have to establish times that and, and establish... Um, knowledge of the course demonstrated to the people who run those races that you are ready to move to the TT. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So I'm not so much as trying to qualify for the TT because as I understand it, the qualifying times is you have to average 117 miles an hour in order to be considered on your application for the TT. Right. You're screwed. Yeah, so <laughs> the, the class that I'm... You have I'm, to go like wide open throttle the whole time. <laughs> the class that I'm in, I have to average 83 miles an hour to qualify because there's a time limit. I have to do one of my six practice laps in 27 minutes or less. That's the bottom line. If I do not do that on my practice week, I do not make the main event on Saturday the 29th. I won't be accepted. Fuck. So that's cool. the goal. Twenty-seven that's, minutes. Twenty-seven minutes. That's that's what I'm saying over and over in my head. I have to make the course in twenty-seven minutes. And how long is the course? Thirty-seven point four miles. Wow, with lots of turns. Yep, lots and lots of and turns. buildings. And uh, so, do you have a, a crew you're going out with, or is this just you? Or <laughs> I've I've done this entirely on my own. Wow. Who wants to go? I would fucking love to go. Are you kidding me? But I, do it. I can't go. Right. Do it now. I, w- I would like to say, though, in the past three and a half weeks, one of my friends who lives in Capitola, the former AFM vice president, he put me in contact with a shop owner in Hollister, California, Faultline Motorsports. Uh, yes. Nice. Yeah, we're and quite familiar with that. And John <laughs> at Faultline Motorsports stepped up and provided me with some equipment to take over some spares that nice. I couldn't afford. Nice. So I was nice. super stoked. Super, We've awesome. all shopped there. Yeah, I was super stoked that he helped cool. me. So um, wrapping up, do you have any advice for up-and-coming racers? Like, um, 
What's like, the main thing that stuck with you? Like our own Lucas, <laughs> who aspires said, to race. There's somewhere. no on racing. Yeah, he said racers, not um. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> okay. Lucas already made the joke. So what I would say is, what I would say is, when when I started, there was no such thing as track days. The only practice you would get was the Saturday before a AFM race. Mm-hmm. That was the practice day, and you know it was very shortened and everything. What I would say is. Go go do the practice days. The thing about short course racing that's awesome is that the stopwatch doesn't lie. So you can take your bike to these tracks, and the stopwatch will tell you whether or not you're going to have fun, whether or not you're going to be competitive, whether or not you're going to win, if that's what you want to do, or whether or not you're going to be an impediment and a safety hazard. Right. It's going <laughs> to tell you everything you need to know. And based on that time, you can say, hey, I want to just participate at a track day level and really get dialed in because they only go to so many tracks. It's not like you have to learn 10 different tracks. There's three to learn. That's not a big deal. So I would say go to the track day and figure out you know, if you if if it's going to be fun for you, if it's not going to be fun, why do it? You know, right? Has this been like your dream to go do this? Is this like a bucket list thing? Okay, so when people say bucket list stuff, every one of us has a dream, you know, and dreams cannot come true. They can just be that thing that's way out there. Well, for a long time, riding on Highway Nine, we used to watch these things called Duke videos, where. <clears throat> It, we would see the Isle of Man in little in little spurts. So we always, everyone always thought that the Highway Nine area mimicked all that, and we thought that hey, yeah, if we if we race up here on Highway Nine, we can we can apply and go. Well, that's not the way it works. You got to go <laughs> do official racing to go do that. So after doing that, instead of things becoming a far off dream, I was accumulating the things you need to apply and have the licenses. So. In that process, it became not a dream. It became like, it, this is a reality. I've built the, the finishes that you need to apply to. Okay, go a little further, get a few more, and start do, knocking down the steps. Apply for this license. Apply for this license. The problem with the license is you have to be in possession of them so many months before you apply to the race. So everything hmm. has to be thought out. You can't just go, okay, this year I'm going to go to the Manx. It's like a two-year process. Wow. You have to get races in years going back. You have to get races in the year you're doing it, but you have to own licenses a year before you go. Wow. So this has been like a three-year project that I've kept really close to my chest. But after having the expert finishes with AFM, the recognized association here in the United States, it became more and more a reality. And then there was a guy at AFM doing these uh, Manx meets. He had gone two seasons. And he kind of walked me directly through the steps. Okay, you got to contact these people. And I ended up doing all that stuff. So in an answer to your question. So was that a yes or a no? Yeah, the long way around is, <laughs> yes, it was a dream and a bucket list thing. Yeah, but I m- created the reality it needed to get to it. You know? Damn. Yeah, it, just, it didn't fall in your lap. Yeah. So Yuri. We ask this of everyone. Okay. Here it what comes. What is Drum your up-the-butt bike? Wow. Wow. You had an answer so readily available. Seems I was like we caught him off guard. I told you to not, stuff it and wait for the podcast. Not that there's anything wrong with that, <laughs> but, okay, I have two, one modern and one old, but I would have to say the first one, there's a bike that I saw probably 15 years ago, and I thought I would have it by now. 
and I thought it would be easy to get. It's an antique motorcycle. It's called a Bruff Superior. Yeah. And I thought that I could save up $5,000 and get one of those. And I finally found one for sale and the price tag was like $120,000. I never would have guessed that for you. That's a lot of ass. Right, right. So if anyone doesn't know, the Bruff Superior, it's the same bike that um, Peter O'Toole uh, rode in Lawrence of Arabia at the Mm. beginning. It's an old British motorcycle. Uh, Okay, yeah. It's a very sought-after bike. Only a handful of them exist in the United States. And what about the modern one? Okay, so the modern one, it just came out this year. I don't know if any of you know, but clutchless shifting goes both ways now on the new BMW. So you can upshift and downshift without the clutch. I heard that. Hmm. Is that the S1000RR? That's the the new S1000, yes. And that's what I've always dreamed about. What fun is that? When when I moved to clutchless um, upshifting, it was like a godsend. I could I could stay on the power and and clutch the bars and never have to reach up for that clutch. It saved so much time and fatigue. But now you can go the other way. You can just downshift and never take your hands off the bars. It's it's a, such a convenience. So you get an electric bike, you know. Yuri, just on, that out there. on your behalf, <laughs> I'm going to extend an invitation to all of us misfits here. Um, I don't know if any of you have been to an AFM race. It is really a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's club racing. I mean, different levels of it. But the pits are like, it's like the biggest uh, tailgate party in the world. You just walk around and people are loaning parts to each other, helping each other out. Everyone knows each other. It's fun. And you can watch the races, smell the race fuel. You know, probably have a barbecue with somebody, grab a beer with somebody. Everyone's got chairs out in their pits. Um, I would love to sometime, Yuri, when you're racing, let us know. I would love to come down, and hopefully some of y'all want to come and experience yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. yeah I'd, I'd, I'd love to have people out there. Like I said, I, <clears throat> I've been, I've made friends in, in the pits, but... The, the French the friendships that I made those people are also racing so we're all involved in in our in our preparations usually when we get there I've never had visitors um, on a on a couple occasions actually at every race people are really fascinated by the the type of machinery I'm running because no one else is and they're like hey I got dirt bikes at home how do I get mine to this level and come out here and do this I get a lot of that how much time do you have <laughs> yeah yeah so so that that would be cool the more people that um, come out to the races you know I know it's hard to dedicate time to do stuff like that but um, like, like Liza had said, it's it's um, there's a lot going on out there, and there's a lot of people willing to um, have you come into their circle, as it That's would be. That's really cool. It, it's really fun. Uh, do you have any upcoming local races this summer? Okay, so the deal is is that I return on September. The, the schedule for the AFM has extended out because they um, they didn't want to do the hot months this year at Thunder Hill, so they've extended the schedule out to to um, the end of October. But the problem is is that I return from Isle of Man on September 2nd. That following weekend is the second-to-last AFM race at Sonoma. I think it's like a, the 9th and 10th. I'm not sure, though. It's it's that, it's that, that, that weekend after the 2nd. 
Then there's only one more race at Button Willow, California, and the Button Willow one is the one where my bikes will probably be back in the States because I can't just have them the next right. day. I come back on the second, and then my bikes take a slow boat back for five weeks. What are you going to do, man? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, the, oh, that's, that's the downside do? that I've sacrificed um, two rounds so far uh, of not being able to um, participate. But that was the trade-off. I knew that because this this isle of man race was calling for both my bikes to be gone i knew that i would have to sacrifice the 2015 championship going going for it with afm so i'll hit the last button wheel around and i like button willow button is a great track lucas i definitely want to get you out there not because i want you'd be schooled by all these people out there racing. I don't but want to I, race on Buttonwell. But I, I think with your, with your, it's repaved. It's repaved. Oh, I take it back. It's I think with your, with your <laughs> yeah. confidence, I think you should be out there and That's I just want to help confidence. you <laughs> see, once you see what the camaraderie and what it's like there, it's, I think. You and Lucas, on the Friday before all AFM races, there is an independent track day provider um, that runs the track day on Friday. You can go out there and participate and get a feel for. It might be a li- it might be a little bit more intensity because it's a race weekend and racers are out there gearing up. But there's it's a it's like I said it's a track day provider so they do have an A, B, and C group. I've been hankering to do another track day, but I better get moved up to B group this time. <laughs> I think well, the intensity well, might do good it. for you too, though, Lucas, because putting you in that in that extreme mindset and like forcing you to kind of push like logic and well but even if you're not racing but you're in the pit seeing how they're doing stuff and 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 helping other people out i think i think what's more important going forward with with looking into racing is not your speed what's most important is your owning a a truck is your ability to be predictable (laughs) on track that's the most important aspect that means not shifting from side to side it means um throwing your hand up if you have a mechanical problem it means being aware of the people around you and taking their safety first before yours that's why i don't want to be in c group anymore (laughs) well yuri i want to thank you for coming down i mean it's so awesome that you're just another local santa cruz guy and we always try and pool from all of our local resources here in in the Bay Area and especially Santa Cruz. Um, so we're definitely going to be following you. I know I've already put a link up on uh, our Facebook page about what you're doing so people can follow that, especially those sumo riders out there. Yeah. Crap. So yeah, we're going to have to get you back and then I want to get you here with Nock and y'all can talk Yeah, tech we're going to talk tech Tech talk next time. Hey, Yuri, thank that, you so that's much. That's my for, favorite thing. Thanks for so much for coming down. It's really cool to have you on hey, the podcast. Hey, thank you. So we're, we're wrapping up, but before we do, I just wanted to share one piece of weird motorcycle news. When these come up, I like to share them. Show. If you actually Google motorcycle news, it's going to be one after the other of somebody died, somebody died, somebody died, two people died, somebody died. Who is reporting this quote unquote news, though? Well, it's just the Google News. It's about death here, death there. That's what makes the newspaper. Mm, when you look up if it bleeds, it leads. And this one isn't that different. Somebody did die. But this one is a little different than the rest of them. So um, a motorcycle lesson at a Queens riding school Uh-oh. took a tragic turn Uh-oh. when a 59-year-old student fell from his bike and died after choking on a hard candy. 
What? What? <laughs> You're freaking me out now because I was doing test rides with a Jolly Rancher in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not a good idea. He was at a Ferrari driving school for motorcycles. Ferrari makes motorcycles? Oh. No, it's just called Ferrari Driving School. It's the name of the school. Oh, he was okay. at, like, a for us, you know, um, the just a motorcycle. So it's like an MSF. It's like an MSF class. He was there sucking on a hard candy, oh, choked, and fell over and died. Did he, so oh, did he die from the choking or did he die from the fall? Does uh, it say? He died after choking. Well, it said he died after choking, but that doesn't he mean died, he died he from because he choke, was choking. From. He was probably okay. wearing a helmet if he was on a... Yeah, I don't think he died from, from the, the crash, it would have said he died from head trauma. He died right? after. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that. that's horrible. Just, but, wow. just another way you can die. Just another way you can die on a bike. Lesson learned here? No um, hard candy. No hard candy. candy. Does he win a Darwin Award? <laughs> I don't At know. At 59, he's Not probably like, reproduced. You don't know I that. Don't know. <laughs> I said probably. So this is that time when we get to thank everyone for listening. And again, for the emails. Thanks for the emails. I love yeah. our steady stream of emails. Um, I'll have two a week. <laughs> hey, it's better, th- better than well, none. So, no, sometimes I answer them directly. It just depends. Uh, the ones I like to share them. with the group. And speaking of emails, could I put out a request out there? If anyone has a book or other resource they could recommend on motorcycle steering angle rakes, uh, spe- specifically for high-speed motorcycles, I'd be really interested in learning more about that. So if anybody has any suggestions or ideas of good reading on that subject, I would be very appreciative. That was Bagel. Yes, thank you. All right, so uh, who wants to... Let's see, I'm looking around. Uh, Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> He's hiding behind yeah. his box. You want to tell people how to reach us? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> MotorcyclesMisfits.com. That's our podcast. Leave us an email at RecycleMotorcycleGarage.com. Oh, no. RecycleMotorcycleGarage. Oh, my God. <laughs> at, at gmail.com. Wait, RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com. Catch us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RecycleSantaCruz. And uh, we have a phone number, too. You can call us and leave us a message or a greeting. We'll put you on the beginning of the show, or mm-hmm. pizza. unfortunately. Or, uh, it's 831. Or your pizza order. 831-291-5112. You got it. Yes. That's it. I've had it. It's 831-291-5112. Like rate us on iTunes. Yes, iTunes is awesome. Rate us on iTunes. And Lucas, I'm glad you came back. You've been out for a while. Yeah, I've been busy. I've been busy. getting, like, uncomfortably familiar with Harleys. And, and you're, you're, getting, you're getting more Chevelle too. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Oh, coming up. So, um, show us on the doll where the Harley touched you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, coming up, Nitro Circus in November. Yes. Thank you. In yes. San Jose, California. So Let's we want to get a bunch this of Sunday. misfits together. So listeners, if you want to come down. Um, Nitro Circus. Yeah, we should buy a block of tickets. Yeah. We keep get saying that. No. I know, but we still should do it. We still should do it, yeah. yes. Uh, also, since you are around Harleys a lot, um, mm, coming yes. up, we'll be we'll be doing a all Harley podcast. <gasps> You're doing so, it. I, you definitely uh, have some I'm doing it. Harley writers. So, uh, <laughs> I, think, I think that's fair. There's a lot of Harley hate, and I always tell people, don't hate the Harleys, just hate the riders. <laughs> the, <laughs> Harleys so are, the Harleys are fine. The Harleys don't hurt anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, keep, uh, maybe the next month or so is coming up, so keep listening. Cool. So... Yeah, we have to find Harley riders that'll actually talk to us. <laughs> At this point, well, the, thing is, the thing is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna either rent one or borrow one and go on a, go on a, a ride or a trip or something. And it's then totally not them. worth it. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally not worth it. You're no. killing it, man. I no, ride you... them every day, all day. Totally not worth it. Yeah, what do you do for work again? Man. 
that said, this is Eliza. I am Zach. Adrian. Bagel. I'm Lucas. Kat. Yuri. Douglas. Evan. Matthias. And I'm Lucas. And we're out. (laughs) Cool, 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 cool. cool. Except for Lucas. Lucas.